Welcome to Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue, crushing MAGA Republicans under the weight of their own arguments. I'm Tish Durkin, and this is the follow-on podcast to Jiu-Jitsu 22, crushing the GOP under the weight of its own arguments. The title is slightly different because it adopts President Joe Biden's now familiar shorthand way of differentiating Republicans who are followers of Donald Trump and those of his neo-fascist, insurrectionist, anti-factual, kleptocratic ilk from Republicans or possibly Republican-leaning libertarians or independents who are not. Some of my fellow lefties will criticize me as they criticize the president for making that distinction on the grounds that the non-MAGA wing of the GOP has so forfeited any influence over how the party flies that it can no longer be considered a wing at all. I see their point. But especially at a time of such division and toxicity in our politics, I think it's really important for sane and well-meaning Americans on one side to keep an eye out for every glint of sanity and goodwill on the other side. For liberals and progressives like myself, that means seizing every possible opportunity to recognize the difference between conservatism and craziness, even if the population of U.S. elected officials who legitimately embody the former and truly reject the latter could fit in a family van with plenty of legroom and freedom to recline. Another, more substantive change to the podcast. This time around, I'll have a much higher percentage of episodes featuring knowledgeable guests who will help me to flip outrageously hypocritical MAGA messaging right back on itself. For the first few episodes, though, it will be just me, myself, and I setting the stage and the theme for these throwdowns. But first, just to recap briefly... Jiu-Jitsu 22 was a creature of the midterm campaign, with all the fury and the fear that that entailed. I was furious that, particularly after the insurrection of January 6th, the far right remained in control of the Republican Party. And I was fearful, well, actually terrified, of what they would do if they regained control of the country. But as we all know, they didn't. Just as it had done in 2020, America hit the brakes and even pulled itself back a few feet from the edge of the cliff. The key presidential swing states of Arizona and Pennsylvania could have elevated election-denying fantasists to their governorships, and they didn't. The GOP could have taken over the U.S. Senate or won an overwhelming mandate in the House, and they didn't. In fact, of course, they won the House by an historically pathetic midterm margin for the party that does not hold the presidency. Democrats were re-elected to the governorships of Kansas and Wisconsin, and Democrats took full control of the state houses and legislatures of Michigan and Minnesota. Something to remember the next time somebody you know brings up the GOP's deep and unbreakable connection to the heartland. Those Republicans who did win any place that was not deep red tended to be those who rejected the extremes, sometimes very bravely incurring the wrath of the extremely orange extremist-in-chief. At long, alarmingly overdue last, MAGA fever seemed to be breaking. As the red wave revealed itself to be more of a little squeeze of pink grapefruit juice, Republican geniuses nationwide were suddenly crawling out of the woodwork, or at least emerging from the green rooms of Face the Nation and Meet the Press, to declare the political death of Donald Trump whose endorsement had proven the kiss of death for Republicans in numerous should-have-been-winnable general elections. The wall had yet to be built, but the writing was clearly on it. Trump was now a four-time election cycle loser for their party, and it was well past time to move on from him. 
But is the Republican Party moving on? As of March 2023, the rumors of the political death of Donald Trump, like the rumors of the 1897 natural death of Mark Twain, would appear to be greatly exaggerated. And even if Trump does turn out to be breathing his last as king of the GOP, Trumpism is certainly alive and well in the party. Yes, for Democrats, the midterms went great, but we cannot kid ourselves. A large swath of this country, including Florida and Texas, with their combined 67 electoral votes, remain in the firm control of the far right. Several major Trump candidates did win big races in hotly contested states. Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, J.D. Vance in Ohio. Republicans like to roll their eyeballs and exhort Democrats to move on from the unprecedented horror that was January 6th. But I, for one, would find that a whole lot easier if not for the fact that more than 100 Republicans who voted to overturn the results of the 2020 election immediately after the sacking of the Capitol are now sitting in the Congress. And between the narrowness of the GOP House majority and the non-existence of the personal or political nerve of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, those seditionists are sitting there with more power than they have ever had before. And it's not as if they're just exercising that power on Twitter or TV. The ranks of congressional 2020 election deniers include Steve Scalise, now serving as the House Majority Leader, and Elise Stefanik, who has replaced bona fide conservative and small-D Democrat Liz Cheney as the GOP House Conference Chair. And of course, the ranks of the seditionists, and in a couple of cases, the secessionists, have grown to include the democracy-dissing likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. As for the insurrectionists who are no longer in Congress, are they gone because they were drummed out of office or shamed out of association with the mainstream GOP? No. Greg Gianforte is now the governor of Montana. This past cycle, Lee Zeldin came very close to becoming governor of New York. Meanwhile, the Republican National Committee has re-elected as its chair Ronna McDaniel, who has bolstered Trump at every turn. What's worse, the opposition McDaniel faced in her re-election bid was not from anyone trying to move the party away from Trumpism, but from those who basically felt that she was not doing enough to promote it. And who so far is opposing Trump for the GOP presidential nomination? Former South Carolina governor and U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, who for years now has been unafraid to stand up to Trump, except when somebody says boo at the slightest hint of her doing so, which sends her scurrying right back into the neo-fascist fold. Indeed, when it comes to the don't say gay push in education, Haley is trying to run to the right of her likely rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, an anti-immigrant, anti-vax, anti-capitalist book banner who never met a Disney princess he couldn't demonize. Maybe the field will grow to include Glenn Youngkin, the personable, pragmatic, regular dad Virginia governor who is so sincere in his rejection of far-right craziness that he flew to Arizona to campaign in person for gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, the absolute craziest of the 2022 crop. But in his attempt to court lunacy while cultivating an image of lucidity, Youngkin is far from alone. In fact, there's now an increasingly crowded lane of Republicans who want their party to have its fascism and hide it too. Just about a year ago, Trump Attorney General Bill Barr 
published a memoir called One Damn Thing After Another, in which he basically shredded Trump as the nutcase to end all nutcases, only to admit on his book tour that if Trump were to end up as the GOP nominee in 2024, he, Barr, would nonetheless vote for him. At the time, this made news as a glaring absurdity. Now it's a talking point, spouted even by New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, widely tipped as the great normal hope if he gets into the race. And that default double talk is really troubling. Not because it's so important that these politicians go through some ritual renunciation of their dear leader, but because of what their manifest refusal to do so indicates about the mindset of millions of their voters and about their own collective answer to the question of whether it is their task as leaders of their party and possible presidents of the United States to challenge that mindset. Nope. So much for the personalities. How about the policies? In future episodes, I'll be doing a lot to dissect the policy differences between Democrats and today's MAGA-driven GOP. But first and foremost, we need to understand the degree to which they have no policies at all on any of the stuff that really matters, either here and now to individual Americans and their families, or moving into the future for the greater good of the country. Policy-wise, to be sure, Democrats have got problems. But Republicans have got nothing. Remember when the GOP spent seven years raising money and running candidates and setting fires almost exclusively on the urgent need to repeal and replace Obamacare? And then in 2016, when they took over all three branches of government and they didn't even try to do any such thing? That's their jam. Hit and run. Hit and hit and hit Democrats on an issue until the Democrats are bleeding out from it. And then when it's time to put down the blunt object and make use of the power they've gotten from all that pounding, run on to the next thing. If by some chance that's not the actual strategy, the GOP must have a really big dog because apparently it has eaten their plans for healthcare, education, entitlement reform, not to mention exactly what they mean when they say or spit their super favorite new swear word, woke. Think about it. If you came down from Mars with zero knowledge of anything about Earth except what you learned from Republican messaging, you would think that among the very biggest problems facing the United States of America today is where different kinds of people are allowed to pee. With regard to education, you would think that until conservatives recently raised their hackles over it, parents were denied any and all information about what is contained in their children's public school curriculum. Oh, how they would benefit from such a thing as a report card or a parent-teacher association of some type. On the environment, you would think that the number one priority is not to fight climate change, but to fight against the fight against climate change, a fight in which the leading lights of the GOP feel compelled to thwart any and all movement away from fossil fuels. You would think that the main outrage concerning the recent train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, is not the loosening of the many safety standards that could have prevented this accident, nor the demonizing and defunding of the government agencies responsible for comprehending and mitigating its effects. Nope, all that's okay. The thing to get upset about is that President Biden did not show up on site. 
Worse yet, instead, he went to Ukraine. That's it. The party that used to idealize limiting the power of each branch of government to its essential functions has now spent more than a month chastising a president for concentrating on a matter of foreign policy that only he can address and leaving the immediate details of a terrible situation to the governor of the state in which it has arisen, by whose own account the president has provided all the federal resources that really matter. That governor, Mike DeWine, is a Republican. Spencer Cox, the governor of Utah, who not too long ago wrote a famously level-headed and compassionate open letter on the subject of trans athletes in high school sports, is a Republican. Many members of Congress who basically support Biden's support for Ukraine are Republicans. It's not that all Republicans are right-wing extremists all the time. But because the GOP remains, chooses to remain, in the thrall of a critical mass of base voters, state party officials, and right-wing media entities, just about all Republicans must answer to right-wing lunatics all the time. And while Republicans will say that the same is true of the Democrats, it absolutely, positively, on the merits, and in ways I will often spell out, is not. In short, When it comes to Trumpism, the Republicans are doing nothing more than rearranging the deck chairs. So it is the sacred duty of everyone else to ensure that what they're all aboard turns out to be a political Titanic. That's why I'm right back at this podcast. Point of emphasis, or re-emphasis, if you remember Jiu-Jitsu 22. I care deeply about all the issues that grab the biggest headlines climate change, voting rights, reproductive rights, racial equality and equity, the whole hot-button hit parade. But such issues will not be the focus of this podcast, or only if and as they may pertain to what is the main focus, crushing MAGA GOP under the weight of its own arguments. It's simple. I'll take what Republicans say, compare it to what they do, and see how this reality measures up against the image they have built of themselves. I do not view this practical policy analysis as being remotely at odds with the more dramatic fight for social justice. I view it as essential to the fight for social justice, because in order to secure social justice, Democrats need to win elections, which means they need to win not only their base voters, but a number of those disenchanted Republicans, independents, moderates, whatever you want to call them. And when it comes to that pool of Americans, the GOP has done an unbelievably effective job at convincing them that however distasteful or even disturbing today's MAGA-bound Republicans may be when it comes to unwanted pregnancies or unapproved books, they are competent, even comforting, on a host of real-life problems, crime, inflation, job creation, and so on. My point is, they are anything but... Today's MAGA and MAGA-driven Republicans are not tough on crime. They are not pro-police, let alone pro-public safety. They are not supporters of our military. They are not capitalists. They will not secure the border, let alone do anything else to straighten out immigration. They are not strong on the economy. Never mind racial minorities, they are not good for white Americans or rural Americans or non-college educated Americans. 
They will not ensure good, old-fashioned, back-to-basics education, no matter how much diversity and inclusion they can strip out of the schools or how much glossed-over American history they can nail in. Whether interpreted strictly, broadly, or courtesy of Google Translate, they do not value the Constitution. In short, should they succeed in reaching their political goals, they will also succeed in putting America last. Democrats need to make all these points on all these issues, because it is only by winning on all these issues that Democrats can really win. And what was true before the midterms is, unfortunately, true today. If big D Democrats do not win, small D democracy will not only lose, but be lost. I wish I were exaggerating. I wish I could believe that our country has truly ridden out the Trump-spun neo-fascist storm. But my feeling and my fear is that right now we are just in the eye. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll follow me for future episodes of Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. New episodes drop every Thursday morning.